My name is Christian. I'm one of the elders and pastors here at Cornerstone. I have the opportunity to open up God's word with you this morning. And I don't know, just as we were singing afresh, it, it, the, the realization just dawned on me again. What an amazing opportunity that it is that we have to know this God, to be family together because this God adopted us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Like this is such an amazing privilege we will never deserve and yet it's also not just something that we passively receive. It's something that now we get to be actively involved with. I love that that's like, that's what stuck out to me from the word that Todd created last week, his family-ing word <laughs> that Ted referenced. Family is something we get to do together. And when we gather together on Sundays, it's not just all about what happens in this room, but yet what other time during the week, during the week do we have where we get to gather together as one big group like this and lift our voices together and tune our ears together to pay attention to his word and to love one another. So it's so good to be with you and open up God's word with you. We are gonna be continuing our series this morning in the Great Commission. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 28. We'll be looking at the tail end of Matthew 28 again. This is our summer series. It's going to continue for a few more weeks. I'll have a lot of the verses up on screen, but please follow along on a phone or if you have a Bible or if you need a Bible, uh, the ushers uh, would love to, to bring one to you. They won't throw them just like the guy at Dodger Stadium isn't allowed to throw peanuts anymore. We don't allow them to throw Bibles, but if, it's, if you don't own them, we'd love you for you to have it. As we jump back into this amazing passage, these marching orders that Jesus gives us as his people defines the primary mission of the church, this making of disciples. We've gotten to look at this from a big picture and now we're kind of going through it more detailed, phrase by phrase. But I wanna remind you as we kick this off, here in Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20, there's a lot going on. There's these four all statements. When Jesus says all, he means all. And we saw in one of the first weeks of this series, this idea that everything that Jesus commissions, commands us to do as followers of Jesus is all based upon what he declares in verse 18, the first all statement where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He didn't rustle that control from others. He didn't just try to claim it himself. The Father gave him authority over all things as that rightful King of kings and Lord of lords. And on the basis of who Jesus is and the authority he has been given, that second all statement comes in where Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then our third all statement, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And then there in, at the end of verse 20, the fourth one comes in where Jesus says, I will be with you. Not I will be, that's wrong. He says, I am with you always, all the days until the end of the age. And with all that all going on in this passage, we also notice that there's really only one central command in everything that Jesus says. And it's right there in verse 19 where Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. The command is to make disciples. But for the last few weeks, we've been looking at these three participles, these, these verbal adjectives that describe, that Jesus gives more details about how we go about doing that, making disciples, how? And there's these three participles he gives us. Well, it has to do with going, it has to do with baptizing, and it has to do with teaching. Two weeks ago, I, I walked us through this idea of going. We looked at it from four different angles. 
This idea that there's an immediacy. Jesus says, go now and make disciples. But we saw how that go now and make disciples came after three plus years of Jesus first saying, come, follow me. Let me train you. Let me teach you. And as we go, I will equip you to make disciples. And so not only does he say to them, go now, he also says, Make disciples as you go, in the ins and outs, the comings and goings, the sittings and risings of life. That's where we make disciples as we go. Last week, Todd got colorful with us. He, he put his clothes on up here with his t-shirts, and he showed us these five different dynamics of that second participle, this idea of baptizing, how this simple action of water baptism represents the way in which now we, we have this new life in Jesus. We've turned from the way we used to live. We're now following Jesus. We're familying together as his people, and we're standing in the reality of this new life, this new kingdom that we get to be a part of. And what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna look at that third part Participle up here, the one that he says there at the beginning of verse 20, where he says, how do we make disciples? Well, you got to go, you got to baptize, and then those who are baptized, teach them, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That's our focus today, teaching. In some ways, this should be pretty obvious, right? Clearly, discipleship, being a disciple, making disciples involves teaching because that word disciple, kind of the, the basic understanding of it is, it's, it's a student, a learner, one who's taught. But taught what and taught how? Those are the two main questions I'm going to look at with you this, in our time this morning. What does Jesus call disciples to teach and to teach to others? And how? How are they to go about doing it? And what does this mean for us as we seek to be disciples and make them? Okay, so again, coming back here to verse 20. Let's start asking that what question first. Teach what? What does Jesus say here in verse 20 that disciples are to teach to others? What do you think? What's that? All that he's commanded. Yeah, no, and especially, again, pay attention to that all word, right? Teach all that Jesus has commanded, not just some of them. Not just the ones that we like or that we might know of offhand or the ones that are on our favorite coffee mug or journal or something like that. He says, teach all of them. But it's interesting because he doesn't just tell us to know what he's commanded. He doesn't say, just teach what I've commanded. What does he say there in verse 20 that he wants disciples to do with his commands? What's it? Observe. Ooh, I'm glad you observed that. This is actually really important. I'm going to stop for a second and just talk about this idea of observing because this, in some ways, is one of the most important pieces of our discipleship, but also sometimes the one that we can tend to skip over. When we talk about Bible study methods, hermeneutics is like the technical term for it, but just the ways in which we seek to know and understand God's word, observing, I would say, is the most important and most frequently used skill that we can have as students of God's word. I've often told people that I think that at least 80% of the work that goes into knowing and understanding this book happens right there, at observing, slowing down, paying attention to, tuning our eyes and our ears to see and hear and understand the words on the page. But at the same time, have you ever been a part of maybe a small group or a Bible study or just a conversation with others about the Bible where it seems that that conversation very quickly drifts to, well, I think this verse means this. Oh yeah, well, I think it means that. Okay, well, maybe that's what it means to you and maybe it means something different to me. And 
we very quickly jump past what does it say to what do I think it means. And being faithful students of God's word has to start with slowing ourselves down to observe. Pay attention to what it says in order to understand what it means and what we are to do with it. I would say this is something that Todd and I try to regularly model in the way that we teach and preach from this setting. Even simple things like helping you to observe the word observe in this passage. Slow down, see the details. When I used to teach kids, the first eight years I was here at Cornerstone, I taught one of our youth ministries, and I knew one of my most important things, what developed is one of the main things I tried to do was I wanted to make sure that kids didn't think that this book was somehow mysterious and mystical and they needed someone like me to detangle it for them. How do I help children feel at home in this book? Sometimes that's okay, memorize the books of the Bible, know how to find your way around it. But really, so much of my teaching was just, hey, what does it say? Kids raise their hand. I think it means this. Okay, hold on a second. Before we jump into meaning, what does it say? Well, I think it means that. Or they put it in their own words. Okay, first, 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 seriously. What does it say? What does it say? Observe. Pay attention. Look at what Jesus has said to us and begin there. That is and always will be an essential part of our discipleship, observation. But I would say this to you. It's not all of it. Because Jesus hasn't just called us to observe, pay attention to what he said. He's called us to do something with it. In some ways, think about it like this. Like the way that we observe a baseball game when you buy a ticket and you go sit at the the stadium. Or the way that you observe a Broadway play, if you're maybe more into that or something. You pay sometimes a lot of money to sit and watch. And you get to cheer along, you know, and maybe in a certain way you feel like that has something to do with it. Like the team won because I cheered really loud for them. I don't know, like I'm a huge Dodger fan, so it's been a little bit of an emotional week for me, like probably for many of you, because our main observation guide, Vin Scully, is no longer with us. That master storyteller who helped you paint the picture in your mind. But as a big Dodger fan, I would say... Even still to this day, I catch myself. The Dodgers win some big game or something like that, and my first thought is, we won! We! I listened to it on the radio. I was part of it, right? Watched it from the stands. No, of course. We understand. In that setting, it's more passive observation. I'm watching what's happening. I may be cheering and clapping along with it, but I'm not really doing anything other than just being a spectator, right? And even when we look at the life of Jesus and the way that he walked with his disciples, we can see on the one hand that at least early on, there was a lot of passive observation. Yes, the the apostles, especially the guys that were fishermen, they left their nets and they left what their life was before to follow Jesus. But at least initially, most of that following was just watch and listen. Watch what I do. Watch the way I care for people, the the miracles, the power that I have over what's broken in the world and in your, your life. Listen as I teach. Watch, observe, pay attention. But that observation, it's much more like the observation of an apprentice to their master. Come watch what I do. Ask me questions. I'm going to walk you step by step through how I do this because the point of this is not just for you to watch me do it. The point is that as we walk together, you will be able to do what I do. Does that make sense? So observe because it's an important point to where you're going, what what you're being equipped to do. That's what we see in the ministry of Jesus. He starts by just saying, watch and listen. And then somewhere about partway through his ministry, we we see this in Matthew 10, he looks at these 12 that he designated as apostles, the ones that he would send out, and he says, okay, we're going to do a short-term trip. 
I'm gonna send you out two by two. You're gonna go to the surrounding villages and you're gonna preach the good news of God's kingdom that's arrived in me. You're gonna heal the sick, raise the dead, deliver people from evil spirits. In other words, do what you saw me do. Participate with me by following the example that I set for you. And what we have here in Matthew 28 is the ultimate place where Jesus says, it's go time. You've watched, you've learned, I've sent you on short things. We've debriefed on them together. You are trained, you are ready, now go. Go and continue the example that I've set for you with others. Jesus clued them in all the way back in like Luke 6, that this is what he was gonna do with the disciples when he said this, and he says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. This is what I'm doing with you. Come watch and listen, not just so you can stay a watcher and a listener, but so that over time you become what I am, a teacher, a guide to others. You see that? In a similar way, Jesus describes this at the end of his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus tells this parable of a wise builder and a foolish builder. Are you familiar with this one? Don't build your house on the sandy land. If you're church kids, you know that song, right? Everyone who thus hears these words, a culmination of everything that Jesus has said from Matthew, the beginning of Matthew 5 through this point, he says, okay, you heard all this. So therefore, those who hear these words of mine and does them, the one who does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then when the rain fell, basically when the trials of life, when life hits you, and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Why? Because it had been founded on the rock, the rock of hearing and doing what Jesus had said. On the other hand, verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Rain fell, floods came, wind blew. The same life experiences happen to the foolish person as the wise person, but the outcome is very different. What made the difference? They both heard the words of Jesus. What made the difference? One person did something with them. The other person didn't do anything other than perhaps forget them or go, oh, Great job, Jesus. Good job. Super good. Where's the basket? I'm going to put, throw some money in there. We'll keep this thing going. Therefore, the one who hears these words of mine and does them is the wise man. They did something with what Jesus said. See, this is where, okay, come back to Matthew 28, verse 20. We've seen this idea. Jesus says, teach disciples to observe all that I've commanded you. But you know, another way that you can translate that word observe there is to translate it as the word keep. Teaching them to keep all that I've commanded you. And, and in some ways, this one might be easier for us to grab onto because we can have a sense of passive observation in, in all the way we use that word. But the idea of actively keeping something, well, that brings out new dimensions to what this task of teaching for keeping or observing is all about, doesn't it? Disciples are made as those who are baptized are then taught by others to keep all that Jesus commanded. And in the same way, disciples of Jesus grow to be disciple makers as they teach others to keep what Jesus has commanded like they have. What I want to do in the, in the rest of our time is I want to look at this idea of teaching for keeping from three different angles. 
On the one hand, there is an informational part to this. We need to be informed, observe. That's kind of the one we've been talking about. So we'll just say a couple more things about that before we move to the second one. But not only do we observe the information, there's an experiential aspect to keeping what Jesus has commanded as we put it into practice. The difference between the wise builder and the foolish builder, right? But there's also this multiplicative idea. Not only are we to observe and pay attention to what Jesus says and put it into practice, but putting it into practice includes the passing it on to others, multiplying it in the lives of others. And the point of all this teaching and learning is not just so that we can know more stuff about Jesus or even know what to do with what we know, but it's as we learn to keep Jesus' commands, to follow his example, and then help others to do the same, This is how we come to know Jesus himself. This is how we grow to know him. Does that make sense? So first one, okay, this informational idea. We talked about this as observation. To be and make disciples, we must know, be aware of, be informed of what Jesus has commanded. And again, not just some of what Jesus commanded, but all of it. There is and always will be an informational part of our discipleship. We must know. We must be people of the book, as Todd talked about last week. Be informed and be informing others of the things that Jesus said and the things that Jesus did. So in this way, we've we've mentioned this before, the fact that Jesus in Matthew 28, the very end of Matthew's gospel, gives this command to make disciples... In many ways, it's a call and an invitation to go all the way back to the beginning of Matthew's gospel and keep ourselves focused. Okay, if if my role as a disciple who makes disciples is to teach others to keep all that Jesus has commanded, I need to go back and pay attention throughout this book to everything that Jesus said and did and commanded us to do because this is now my manual for how I walk with others. His words and his actions are instructive to us because we're seeking to follow him. But again, knowing that information, observing, paying attention, maybe 80% of the work of understanding God's word, of studying God's word, but it's maybe a third of what it means to actually put it into practice. Remember, the difference between the wise and the foolish builder isn't that they, one heard and one didn't. They both heard, one did something with it, right? Or you may be familiar with this from James 1. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves that you've accomplished something by listening. Do what it says. So this leads to that second idea, this experiential, the practice piece. Learning to keep what Jesus commands involves not just knowing what he commands, but what to do with them, putting them into practice. And I think it's especially important for you to hear from me right now in a setting like this, Because the reality is corporate gatherings, large gatherings with monologue style preaching and teaching, these are really good for that first one, to observe, to be informed of what Jesus commanded. But if we're not just to be aware of it, but to put it into practice, again, that's harder to do in a setting like this. I can give you examples, I can give you illustrations, there's more coming with that. But that hands-on, apprentice style, come watch and learn, come let's do this together. Let me watch you do it and I'll give you pointers and then turn you loose to do it yourself. That kind of apprentice style discipleship that Jesus himself practiced with his disciples, that needs to happen beyond Sunday. 
outside of just this room. That's that as-you-go type of discipleship that we talked about a couple Sundays ago. In many ways, I would say that transition from the informational to the experiential, it's kind of like the difference, and you might remember this, or maybe you're in the middle of this right now, it's the difference between driver's education and driver's training. Remember that? Turned 15 and a half. Oh, I can now get what? My permit, my learner's permit. But typically before you get your learner's permit, you sit in the classroom and listen to someone give you a lot of information about the rules of the road, right? Here's what the double yellow line means versus the dashed line. Here's what's the difference between a protected left turn and an unprotected left turn. Here's what it means to yield when you're turning right at a red light and know that you can go as long as you're just not at that intersection right by Costco because then you can't go on a red light. (laughs) You learn the information, the rules of the road, right? You never get behind the wheel. You're just learning the information, right? I also remember in driver's education, they would show, show us those red asphalt videos. Talking about the dangers of the road the gravity, the heaviness. See, if you get flippant with this, if you just think you can get out there and wing it, it could cost your life, it could cost others' lives. So to understand the privilege of driving, you need to understand the responsibility of it too, right? All of that classroom intake of information was all to lead up to you going to the DMV and taking that written test to show that you had enough of the information And if you pass the test, then you got that learner's permit. And that learner's permit allowed you to now get behind the wheel. Take that information you've been given and learn to put it into practice as long as you have an experienced driver in the seat right next to you, right? To guide you. Here's how you use the information. I remember being with a driving instructor in a very special car. And what was special about this car was I had all the normal controls by me, but he also had this special brake pedal on his side, right? All right, I will let you control this vehicle to a point, but if you put yourself and me in a situation that can harm both of us, I can stop you. All of that is to begin to put into practice the information that we were given in driver's education. The information's not enough. You need to learn and learn from others how to use that information appropriately. And in the same way, Disciples of Jesus need disciple makers or disciplers. Other followers who are further along than them, more experienced than them, perhaps more knowledgeable, to teach them both how to observe, pay attention to what Jesus said, and put it into practice in the context of everyday life. In that Deuteronomy 6, when you lie down, when you rise, when you sit at home, when you walk along the way, in the comings and goings, that as-you-go type of discipleship. I would also say that it's in this experiential with others learning how to put into practice what Jesus has given us. This is where those those three orthos come together. You may be familiar with that if you were part of those core four intro classes that we did in the springtime. We were talking about this idea of gospel transformation. One of the core ways that we want to equip disciples at Cornerstone was this understanding that the gospel is not just a message we believe, but something that actually transforms and changes our lives. And we talked about how the gospel transforms us in these three interconnected ways that we call the three orthos. Orthodoxy, right belief, right understanding, the informational kind of component of it, right? But also this idea of orthopraxy, practice, 
putting it into action, building habits that help us to do what the things that Jesus has commanded. That's that experiential part. But at the, at the center of it, or I guess you could say, what color is it? It's green. There's this idea of orthopathy, passion, desire, delight. That at the end of the day, what we're seeking to do is not just to know the information about Jesus or even know what to do with it, but to have our hearts connected to it, to desire and delight in the things of God in the life that Jesus has called us to. Again, because if in the Great Commission, Jesus says the disciples must be taught to keep all that Jesus has commanded, well, when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, what did he say it was? Keep the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother. No, no, what did he say it was? Love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength. And there's a second that's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So if in your relationship with Jesus, you look at it right now and go, I got a lot of information or I'm doing a lot, but my heart is disengaged. You're neglecting the most important command. Not just to know, not just to do, but to love. We are transformed as we become like the one that we love. Amen? This is what all comes together in this disciple definition that we've been coming back to several times throughout this series. That as followers of Jesus, we're seeking to do four main things. Learn from Jesus. What has he said? What did he do? Who is he that shapes the way that we live? To trust Jesus. Trust, believe who he is and follow him because we trust him. To become like Jesus, become like our teacher. Every disciple, Luke 6.40, when he's fully trained, will be like his teacher. We are seeking to become like Jesus, amen? Not just believe in him or help others to believe in him, but to be with him and be like him. That's the goal. And to help others to do the same to pass on what has been entrusted to us. That's that third aspect of this idea of teaching for keeping. The multiplicative, the we pass it on to others. Keeping Jesus's commands by helping others both to informationally observe what Jesus said and then experientially learn to put it in practice. And again, I would say any of you who've taught probably in any setting, you don't need a lot of convincing that when you give your time and attention to prepare to teach others, it changes you, doesn't it? Like even if it's just like a task in your workplace, or you're, I remember when I was my, my boy's t-ball coach and I hadn't played baseball in a ton of years, but it was like going back, going, okay, yeah, how do you teach a kid how to throw? Well, Benny the Jet said, chuck it like you throw a paper, but nobody has papers anymore. So how do we do it now, right? How to throw a newspaper, what do we do now? Breaking it down to its composite, composite parts and go, okay, I'm understanding more, not just how to explain this to others, but this is digging deeper into my heart how I do this too. If I'm gonna explain to someone what it means that Jesus is both fully God and fully man, yet one person, not split, indivisible, okay, I better dig deeper into that myself in order to be able to make sense of it to others, right? The preparation to teach others changes and transforms us. You grow as you help others to grow. On the flip side of that, I would say, just being a consumer of more information about Jesus, whether that's through 
sermons or podcasts or books or blog articles or what it might, what might be. Just consuming that information but not actively moving on to practicing it in life and passing it on to others, I would say that is one of the biggest limiters that puts a cap on our spiritual growth. And sadly, I think that's where far too many people are stuck right now. You top out because you go, okay, you know, maybe one more study and then I'll feel ready. Maybe one more thing. Maybe I sit under one more class. Yes, we should absolutely be ongoing, lifelong learners. But the learning is not just happening in consuming the information, but putting it into practice. So if in that way you feel a bit stalled out in your relationship with Jesus, or you think back and you go, it was 20 years ago the last time I felt like I was really growing in my faith. Perhaps it's right there in that place of how am I seeking to not only gain more information but put it into practice and help others to gain it as well. Pass it on to others. When you engage in others, with, with others in observing and practicing and passing on the teachings and the example of Jesus, it can have a tremendous effect not just in their lives but in yours as well. One of the clearest places where we see this, this multiplicative idea is in the words that Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Speaking of this man that he himself had discipled and equipped to be almost like a, like a, a, a little a apostle, a sender who, who would go and, and, and help build up other churches. He says to him, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men or women, faithful people who will be able to teach others also. Let me give you another illustration, again, because we can do that in this setting. We talked about like, the difference between passively watching a, do a Dodger game and actively getting involved. We talked about the difference between driver's education, gaining the information, and driver's training, putting it into practice. This idea of what does it mean to entrust what has been entrusted to us, to others who will be faithful to teach others also. Maybe a good illustration for this is like keeping alive a family tradition. Keeping alive maybe a cultural tradition from, from your home culture that you came from if you've immigrated here from someplace else. How do you keep that alive? How do you keep that going in your children and in your family and so forth? Well, again, there's definitely gonna be an informational component. Like, like think about it. Maybe it's like your, your grandma's famous cookies that she would make at Christmas time or something like that. If grandma's no longer here, but you have the recipe card, you could keep that alive, right? You still have the information of how grandma did it, right? Now, maybe not the secret ingredient of the same love, right? Because that's what grandmas always say. The secret ingredient is love, right? But if, if all you have is a recipe card, that's not sufficient. You don't, you don't hand out a plate of recipe cards at Christmas dinner, right? You have to put that information into practice. And the first time you try to make grandma's famous cookies, you probably won't nail it. You probably have to set your family up and say, hey, I tried, let me know, give me feedback. No, oh, that's good, you need a little more of this, a little more of that. Hey, you, you cooked them too long and they're burnt on the bottom or something like that. Okay, cool, let me try again. You perfect the recipe through practicing it until that point where family goes, oh yeah, tastes like, this tastes like mom's, right? You've practiced it, but if you really wanna keep it alive beyond you, what do you need to do next? Grab the kids. 
the nieces and nephews. Get them all in the kitchen, even though they'll make a total disaster of it, and say, here, let me teach you how to do this. Let's walk through it. Okay, cool. No, don't do it that way. Oh, don't forget to like you know, get, get the information in the right order and do it just the right way, and they're going to mess up, and they'll burn them and do the same stumbling process that you learned, but that's how you pass it on to others. I would say in the same way as disciples of Jesus, we keep Jesus' commands as we observe what he commanded, put them into practice, and then pass those words and practices on to others. This is always about more than just us. It's about a disciple-making movement that goes to the nations. Amen? But notice again, look back at 2 Timothy 2 with me for a second. Paul doesn't tell Timothy to just teach anyone. What kind of people does Paul tell Timothy to look for? Faithful people. Faithful, trustworthy, consistent, in it for the long haul. I remember several years ago, I'd been doing youth ministry, leading one of the youth ministries here, and then my role was going to expand to oversee our children's ministry, and Terry Earwood had been overseeing the children's ministry before that, so I spent a couple months just shadowing him and learning from him just how to do everything that was going on in children's ministry. I remember at one point, he looked at me, he said, Christian, keep your eye out for fat people. Keep your eye out for fat people? What are, <laughs> what are you saying here, Terry? You're probably, some of you guys are familiar with this. You've heard this before, but this is the first time that I'd heard it from him. Look for people who are what? Faithful, available, and teachable. Who do you know who to put your time into? Who do you know how to build your team around? Look for those who are faithful. They're consistent. They're committed. They're dependable. They're not flaky. Look for people who are available. They don't just give their leftovers. They make space and time in their life to serve and to care for others. They're available. And they're teachable. They know they don't have it all figured out, even if they've walked with Jesus for decades. And they don't think that you've got it figured out either. But they're willing to learn, to keep learning, to keep growing. Willing to be learned from you, be led by you so they can lead with you. I love that. I'm so grateful Terry kind of pointed that out to me. And I say to you as one of the shepherds here at Cornerstone, we are looking for fat people. We are looking for the, and asking, this is what I guess you'd say again, when we, when we keep coming back to this idea of what membership at Cornerstone means, it's that. Would you commit to be faithful, available, and teachable to engage in the life and ministry of this church family? To say, yes, I want to be faithful. I want to make room in my life. I want to cultivate a teachable heart so that I can grow as a disciple and a disciple maker because I want this to multiply. We want to spend our time investing and entrusting gospel truth and practices to faithful people who will be able to teach others also how to observe and practice and pass on all that Jesus has commanded. That's how the mission of discipleship becomes a movement that doesn't just contained in one area but spreads from there to all nations as we teach for keeping all that Jesus has commanded. So what I want to do is I want to spend a few ten, uh, minutes just talking a little bit about what practically is this going to look like for us at Cornerstone. 
And I would say kind of based upon this idea of teaching to keep, to observe, practice, pass on what Jesus has commanded, it's kind of led us to this idea that there are three main rhythms or, or, or elements of what we want people at Cornerstone to be involved with. Building your life, making yourself available to commit yourself to what we call core four, which is basically just in a foundational level of biblical education. Yes, teaching all that Jesus has commanded, but also setting the commands in the life of Jesus and that larger biblical story of God's purposes and, and, and goals for his world and the, the role he's called us to play in it. We talked about it again, if you were part of those, those core four intro classes we did a while back, that in many ways, this idea of the big biblical story, it's the sun at the center of the solar system. We wanna know this well and know our place in God's story, but then not just go, oh cool, that's a cool story, and I can share it with others, but that little red planet on top. We wanna be transformed. We want to not just believe this message about God and Jesus and his purpose for the world. We wanna be changed by it. We wanna be like Jesus. And then from there, we want to take this big grand story, spans all of time, and know how do we speak clearly in our day, in our time. That's what basic doctrine is all about. How do we speak clearly to the concerns and cares and issues of our world and of God's word in a way that makes sense in our day? And all of this, not just so that we can gain information, but that we can pass it on to others. That mission and evangelism piece that emphasizes the role that God's given us in this story as witnesses to who Jesus is, as disciples who make disciples by observing, practicing, and passing on what Jesus has given to us. This is kind of that, that more informational big idea that we want to help every disciple at Cornerstone grow into in these four areas. So one rhythm that is going to be essential as you think about long-term, your involvement here at Cornerstone Church, it's that. This idea of core four, these four areas of essential biblical knowledge. But then there's also this idea that, that all of that information is not just things to say, cool, awesome, I passed a test or something like that, but to put to practice a normal day-to-day, as-we-go type of living. And that's why the second essential rhythm of discipleship at Cornerstone is this idea of shared life. I talked about this a couple Sundays ago, this idea of, of the up-close, personal discipleship type of relationships that Jesus himself modeled for us. That these are the places where we not only learn what Jesus has commanded and how it fits into God's big story, but we, we practice together and pass on to one another the way that we walk in this story. Now, I know in some ways when you think about this idea of shared life or community, you've been involved in a community group, perhaps, some of you perhaps, for many years. Maybe for some of you, you were part of a group that lasted for many years, and then in the upheaval of the last couple of years, it's kind of folded or, or closed down or that season ended. Maybe some of you are looking to get connected right now, but I would just say this, in, in the near future, kind of over this next fall and spring, what we really hope to do is bring a lot more focus and clarity to what it looks like for small groups of people to share life together as disciples of Jesus. And to do so, not just with a sense of let's grab a meal and let's spend time together, as great as that is, but to do so with a sense of momentum, with a sense of progress, with a sense of how do we help one another take next steps of growth as disciples of Jesus? And how do we help, or help each other also have this heart, this vision for multiplication, that if we do this well, we won't be able to contain it, that the goal is not to stay together for the next 20 years, but to continue to raise up and see more people drawn in. What does it look like to share life with an emphasis on momentum, next steps, and multiplication, how we pass this on to others? But I would say this, again, as we seek to bring clarity, what I want you to know today is this. 
community, sharing life with other believers will continue to be central to the life of our church. It is essential that we cultivate relationships in which we can practice that as-you-go kind of discipleship that Jesus himself modeled. So we have core four, and we have this idea of shared life, but all of that comes together, again, in this idea of service. If the goal of discipleship is to become like Jesus, well, how did Jesus describe himself in Matthew 20? He says, if you want to be great in what I'm doing, be the servant. Take the low position. Why? Because even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So if Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve, what does that show us about the model for our lives? Now again, Billy mentioned it before. Thank you guys so much to all of you who came and helped us pack boxes with Children's Hunger Fund yesterday. In just about two hours, we packed 2,380 boxes to fill a sea container to ship over to Romania, which was fantastic. Thank you, guys. And again, as Billy mentioned, whether you were able to be with us or not, if you'd like to give toward the cost of that, we as a church committed to cover half of the cost of that, which is about $11,000. And uh, we have money, again, in our global budget for it. But again, if you would like to contribute to that, uh, that will save some of those funds that we can use to bless other partners in other areas. But you can, again, you can do that through the the Love Romania online giving option um, from our online giving page. You can even, if you have a check or something like that, write Love Romania. We'll continue to take those. Uh, for the next um, a week or so. But again, thank you for that. We're, we're gonna continue to seek to provide, not just provide, but, but, but cultivate these opportunities for us to practice service to, together. They won't always be necessarily that big as what we did yesterday. The majority of service that happens in this spiritual family happens on a smaller personal level. But I would say, even though it's smaller, it is no less impactful and transformative, like formative to our discipleship than the bigger things that we get to do. But again, as, as the point of this is to say, as you think about what it means to be a disciple and make disciples within this local church family, which is what membership is all about, it's built around built, making yourself faithful, available, and teachable in these three ways. Core four, shared life, and service. This is how we want to seek to keep, observe, practice, pass on all that Jesus has said. Does that make sense? Okay, let me do one more thing before we wrap up. Because perhaps, as we were talking through it this week, there was a question that kind of came up frequently as I've been studying this and talking about it with others. And perhaps it's a question that's in your mind right now. Christian, you're talking a lot about teaching. Jesus says to teach disciples to keep all that he's commanded. But what if I'm not a teacher? What if that's not my gift? What if I don't feel like I'm good at it? Is it really every disciple's job to teach others? Or is that just for like more official teachers? Maybe another thing that you thought, again, if you're somewhat familiar with God's, hold on, didn't I read somewhere like in James chapter three, verse one, that not many of you should be teachers? Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Amen. Again, as one who regularly functions as a teacher for this local church family, this passage is not lost on me by any means. It regularly comes to mind. 
It's what drives me and Todd and the others who get up here to teach to, to prepare ourselves well, to not shoot from the hip. Why? I will give an account to God for the way that I handle his word when I teach it to you. That is a heavy responsibility. I don't expect I'll ever do it perfectly or on time either. But I want to be faithful as one of your teachers and I understand that I will give an account to God. But again, think about this for a second. Those of us who maybe play more upfront official teaching roles, we're not by any means the only people who teach, right? I mean, we've got people teaching across the way over in our children's ministry right now, different kids at different levels. Even if it's just don't take your friend's goldfish, that's still a form of teaching, directing, right? Goldfish crackers, that is. We're not actually giving your kids fish. You can teach about death your own way. We won't give you a fish to do that anyway. If your parents, again, uh, you know, you probably spent a majority of your time this week when you were with your kids teaching in some form or facet, even if it's just, no, you may not leave the table until you finish your vegetables, right? I've already told you how to make your bed. You need to go do it. That still is teaching, guiding, right? Even if you're not a parent, if you were part of any conversation this week with anyone in which you found yourself saying, I think you should do blank, you're teaching. Even if it was just, hey guys, guess what I found out online? Guess what I learned the other day? You're informing others. We are all in different ways in normal human relationships, teaching, guiding, counseling, influencing others. In fact, while James here warns us that people should not presume or assume for themselves a role or title of teacher that they don't have the maturity or biblical understanding to handle well, we need to take James 3.1 and combine it with what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3.16 when he says this, to all of us, let the word of Christ dwell in y'all richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. This is one of those one another commands that we often talk about that apply to all of us as believers. So even if some will only, only certain individuals might play a more official teaching role, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom is something we are all called to engage in. Does that make sense? Remember again what Jesus said in Luke 6. A disciple's not above his teacher, but everyone when he's fully trained will be like his teacher. Okay, so if Jesus says that when we're fully trained, we'll be like him and he's our teacher, what does that mean that we will be? Teachers to others. You should expect that as you grow in your discipleship, you will be regularly passing on to others what you have learned from others as well. The writer of Hebrews, he, almost, he has this assumption that believers, as we grow, will be teachers. Look at the way he says this in Hebrews 5. He says, by this time, speaking to this whole group of people he's writing to, you should be teachers. By the time that, you're, that he's writing to them, he says, you should be at this point, but you're not. I gotta go back and give you milk. You're not ready for solid food. But the expectation is still there, right? I love what he says there in verse 14. He says, solid food is for the mature. Who's mature? How do you know if you're mature? Well, it's those who have had their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish between good and evil. So again, if you are a disciple of Jesus, it is not a matter of if you will teach. It is a matter of paying attention to the teaching you're already doing. It's a matter of continuing to be trained by constant practice 
so that you might teach with discernment and wisdom as you seek to pass on to others what's been entrusted to you. Does that make sense? This great commission to make disciples of all nations applies to all of us. If Jesus' commission applies to all of us, the question is, will we apply ourselves to his mission? Will we make ourselves faithful, available, teachable to be about the job has given to us, the job that Jesus has given to us? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus, amen? And on the virtue of his authority, he commissions us to make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them to observe and practice and pass on all that he has commanded to us. Is this a heavy responsibility? Yes, it is. Can we do it on our own? Absolutely not. Which is why next week we're gonna come back and we're really just gonna focus in on that phrase I have highlighted up there in verse 20. Jesus is with us always the end of the age. It's the only way that this global mission of discipleship is not just possible for us, but guaranteed because Jesus himself guarantees it. So let's apply ourselves to it. Amen? I'm going to invite the band to come back up. We're going to sing one more song and then I'll come up and close the service. But would you pray with me as they come up? Father, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you so much that your entire life, your words, your actions, your commands to us, all of it is instructive and shaping to us. Lord, would you make us faithful, available, teachable disciples who are passionate about learning from you and trusting you and becoming like you and helping one another to do the same. Truly, Lord Jesus, don't let us be stagnant. Don't let us be information consumers. Flip that 80-20% principle, that 20% of the people do 80% of the work in a church. Make us multiplicative disciples by your grace because that's the mission you've given us. We look to you, Jesus. We thank you for your promise that you're with us. We ask this in your name. Amen. <laughs>